The scripture reading this morning is from 2 Samuel chapter 9. And David said, Is there still anyone of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then the king sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Let's go before the Lord and ask for his help. Father, before I pray for the message, I cannot help but pray for our city and to pray for the Twin Cities and to pray for our country. Oh God, we're at such a crossroads. We're at such a difficult time. And I pray with all of my heart that the people of God would lead the way to the throne of God. We have access through the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to the very throne of God. And I pray that we would be found often there interceding for our leaders, interceding for police officers, interceding for African American people, interceding for all peoples, O God, interceding at every level, Father, as we're led by the Spirit. O God, may we lead the way to the throne of God. May we cry out from the depths of our heart from our nation. And I pray by the power of Christ that you would cause revival to rise up and sweep across this land. Oh God, I thank you for Pastor Jason Meyer, and I thank you for the pastor of Greater Friendship Baptist Church, who are our missionary Baptist Church, who are gathering people from the Twin Cities tomorrow night at 7 p.m. at that church, Father, to pray and to call upon your name and to seek your face with regard to this city. I thank you for pastors who are rising up to lead the way to reconciliation, and how I pray, Father, that we would lead that way. How I pray that every Christian person would lead the way in being humble and taking the log out of our eye before we look at the specks in other people's eyes. How I pray that we would take the lead in showing peace and love to all peoples regardless of their background. Oh God, how I pray that you would cause us to rise up and be people of peace, not only with our words but with our actions. And Father, 
as we shine with your light in the world, as we pour your salt upon the world, I pray that your name would be glorified. I pray that your name would be magnified in Elk River and across the Twin Cities and across the United States. Father, I thank you for the privilege of living in such a time as this, and I pray that we would be faithful stewards of the access that we have to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, Father, I lift up before you the time that we have in your word now. This is a powerful word, God. It's an appropriate word for the moment. And I pray that you would give me freedom as I preach. I pray that you'd give us all humility as we hear. I pray that you would do profound things in our hearts and minds now, O God. Father, for those who are struggling and about to break covenants that they should not break, I pray that you would cause them to turn back and to follow in the way that they should follow. I pray that you would keep them from the designs of the devil and all the consequences thereof. And Father, for those who are walking in the way that they should go, by the grace and the greatness of Christ, oh, Father, I pray that this message today would be wind in their sails. I pray that happiness would rise up in their hearts as they know that faithfulness is so, so important in the life with Christ that we are living. So I thank you, Father, for what you will do in this message now. In the mighty and merciful and matchless name of Jesus Christ, I pray, amen. Benjamin Warfield, who was better known as B.B. Warfield, taught theology at Princeton University for 35 years, from 1886 to 1921. Besides all the details of his theological works, what he was most well known for was being the last of the Princeton theologians who was truly faithful to the Lord and who was faithful to the Word of God, and who was faithful to the people of God. Indeed, after B.B. Warfield died and passed on from Princeton, the conservatives there broke off from Princeton University and formed Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, where our own Brian Fergus attends to this day. What Warfield is less well known for, though, is his faithfulness to his bride. But his undying love for her evokes so much more respect from me than all 20 volumes of his theological works by a long shot. Warfield married Anne Pierce Kincaid in August of 1876 when he was 25 years old and she was 24 years old. A short time after they married, they went to Leipzig, Germany so that he could continue his studies and so that they could celebrate their union together. It was a, a sort of self-conscious honeymoon for them, although they wouldn't have used that term. And one day, as they were out on a hike in the mountains just enjoying the Lord and enjoying each other and enjoying the life that God was giving to them, a very severe thunderstorm rolled over them. And we can all relate to these kind of storms. In fact, I was woken up by one of them last night. Unfortunately, while that thunderstorm was rolling through, Anne was struck by lightning, and she was partially paralyzed. I'm not sure how she got off that mountain, but I can only imagine that Warfield carried her back, and unfortunately for the rest of her life, she lived as a functional invalid, and she was essentially housebound from that day to the day of her death in 1915. For 39 years, B.B. Warfield cared for his bride. He loved her. He was faithful to her. Even in the height of his time at Princeton, even at the height of the time when he was writing famous and influential books that are still being read to this day, 
even at the height of the time when he was a leader in a movement that was keeping the church from descending into a liberalism that is still engulfing many of the churches that he was involved with to this day, even in those times, beloved, B.B. Warfield could only leave his house for about two hours at a time because he cared for his bride. He loved his bride. He was faithful to his bride. Now, the thing about his life is this. As commendable as his love for Anne was, the truth is that it was but an overflow of the love of God in his life. B.B. Warfield was being faithful to Anne because God was being faithful to him. And he was self-conscious about this. He understood that this is the nature of what was happening in his life. He wrote about it. He knew well the Scriptures. He wrote deeply about the Scriptures. He knew the covenant love of God. He knew the undying commitment of God to his people. He knew the passionate love that God had for his people. He knew these things, not just intellectually, but in his own life as God was faithful to him and kind to him and loving to him. And Warfields wanted to overflow with these things to his precious bride, and he did. For 39 years, he did, until death did them part in 1915. Beloved, when the faithfulness of the Lord overwhelms a person's life, it tends to overflow through that person's life and onto others. It tends to affect the covenants that they have with other people. When, a, when the steadfast love of the Lord overwhelms a person's life, that person wants to be like their God. They want to be steadfast as their God is steadfast. And that is really what was happening in his life. And indeed, it was what was happening in King David's life. And it was, is what can happen in our lives if we'll allow the Lord to do his work in us. And today, I really pray that we will. Oh, God knows I've been praying that he would do a powerful work in our hearts, that we would long to be faithful as our Father is faithful and kind as our Father is kind. As for King David, the Lord had been utterly faithful to him. You'll remember from chapter 7 that God made many promises to him. And then in chapter 8, we saw last week that God began to fulfill those promises to David as he gave him victory against his enemies to the north and to the south and to the east and to the west. God was faithful to David by giving him rest on every side. And as David began to embrace that rest, as he began to enter into the joy of the peace that God had provided for him, I think that his mind began to go back and think over his life. He had been through so many things, hadn't he? And I just think he now had finally the, the, the place where he could just sit back and think. He could sit back and pray. He could sit back and reflect. And when he reflected, one thing his mind turned to was his good friend Jonathan. And he remembered some words that he had spoke to Jonathan. He remembered a covenant that he had made with Jonathan. And I think that in David's heart arose this desire to follow through on the covenant that he had made. So if you'll please keep a finger with me in 2 Samuel, but turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20. I want to read just a few verses, 14 to 16, and then we'll skip down and read verses 41 through 42. And you may remember that at this very time, Saul was just beginning to go after David. Saul wanted David's head. He wanted to kill him. No joke. He wanted him dead. But Jonathan was still at a place in his life where he wasn't sure that this was true. It it would be hard to believe that your father wanted to kill the guy who was probably the most capable warrior in his whole entourage. 
But David knew this was true, and so Jonathan and David devised a scheme by which they could uncover Saul's heart to see what he was really up to. And when they had finished devising their scheme, the the plan that they had to reveal Saul's heart, Jonathan said this to David in 1 Samuel 20, verses 14 through 16. David, if I'm still alive after all this, and I think he really meant that, show me the steadfast love of the Lord. Show me the chesed of the Lord that I may not die. In other words, he's saying, King, swear to me that when God raises you up to power, you will not take my life because I'm an heir to the throne. And do not cut off your steadfast love, your chesed from my house forever. Do not wipe out my house when you come to power, when the Lord cuts off every one of your enemies, the enemies of David, from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies, which was ironic because one of those enemies was Jonathan's own father, Saul. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, not just sheer commitment, but by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. And now please look down with me at verses 41 through 42. These tell us about what transpired after David and Jonathan discovered that Saul was indeed out to kill David. Now they're both totally convinced. And the author writes this, verse 41. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Beloved, these two brothers in the Lord loved each other deeply from the heart. This was no just mere sort of political relationship. They loved each other. They were men of faith. They saw faith in each other. They saw true love and passion for God in each other. And that's what I think caused them to bond so much. Then David said, Jonathan said to David, go in peace because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord saying, the Lord shall be between me and you, between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed and Jonathan went into the city. There was another time when they met again and renewed this covenant, but this is enough for us to understand the nature of what was happening. I I really believe that in the presence of the Lord, David made a vow to be kind to Jonathan and to be kind to his offspring when he came to power. He made a vow not to kill them. He made a vow not to cut them off. He, He made a vow to take care of them and provide for them in some way, shape, or form. He's not saying he's gonna pour all the blessings of the kingdom upon them. He's just saying that I'm gonna take care of them. He made this vow inside the presence of the Lord, and he meant it. He did it willingly. He did it gladly. And now that God had caused him to rise to such a place of power, not only over Israel, but over all the nations that were surrounding him, David thought back, and he remembered the words that he had spoken, and he wanted to be faithful to his words, beloved. He wanted to be steadfast in love as his father had been steadfast in love toward him. Please understand this. This chapter is not about David just wanting to be nice to people. This is not a story about, hey, go out in the world and just be good, be nice. That's not what this is about. What this story is about is a man who is overwhelmed with the steadfast love of God in his life 
And now he wants to overflow with that love to other people. This is a man who is overwhelmed by the fact that God has kept his covenant with David. And now David begins to think and he wants to keep his covenant with others. He's not being randomly kind to people here. His mind goes to a promise that he made. And like God, he wants to keep his promise. He wants to keep his word. Beloved David wants to be like his father. That's what's going on here. For this reason, David posed the question to his servants back in 2 Samuel 9 now, verse 1. He said, is there still anyone left in the house of Saul, of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And I got to tell you, it really touches me that David asks the question that way. David could easily have just asked, is there anybody related to Jonathan that I could be kind to? Isn't that right? Jonathan's the one that he made the promise with, not Saul. God knows David made no such promise to Saul. Jonathan's the one he made this covenant with. Jonathan's the one he had to be faithful to, but David, in his heart, wanted to honor the king. What an amazing guy. What a humble guy. He says, is there anybody in the house of Saul that I can bless, that I can show kindness to? And of course, he says, for the sake of Jonathan. He's clear about this. But I just hope you understand, he didn't have to say it that way. He's the king. He's in power. He could have said this in any way he wanted to. In fact, he could have completely forgot about this covenant and nobody would even have noticed. I'll bet you even those of us who read the Bible so many years later, it probably wouldn't have occurred to many of us that David never followed through on this promise of his. But David's heart was to honor who those to whom honor is due, even when they're being dishonorable. So he says, is there anybody in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness. This touches me deeply, beloved. I pray that in this sense, we will emulate David. I told you that in these coming weeks, we're gonna go to the heights with David, and believe me, in a couple weeks, we're gonna go to the depths with David. And we should not admire him about certain things in his life, but there are other things we should really admire him about, and this is one of them. Just his utter humility, his desire to give honor, even to the guy who tried to kill him for 10 years. Amazing to me, really amazing. Now, when David asked if he could show kindness to anyone, the Hebrew word there is very important, so I want to talk about it just for a second. The Hebrew word behind the ESV's translation, kindness, is hesed. The word hesed is most often translated steadfast love in the ESV or loving kindness in the NASB, and it's translated in similar ways in various translations. But regardless of the particular English translation, it's very hard for us to, to, to translate it in such a way that you actually get the point of it in English. The concept behind it is not that complicated, it's just hard to capture in one word. So the concept behind steadfast love is that it is ongoing, continual, steadfast love, fidelity, Kindness that happens within the context of a covenant that has been made. Chesed is covenant faithfulness, is probably the best way to think about it. But it's not just a sort of contractual faithfulness. It's not the kind of thing where I just say to Kim, listen, I married you on November 29th, 1991. I made a promise, I'm going to keep my promise. God told me to keep my promises, I'm going to keep my promise. It's not merely a contractual agreement. It's that you're going to give your heart to the person. You're going to give your soul to the person. You are going to be faithful, mind, body, and soul to that person. And if your emotions go up and down, that's fine. Your commitment will remain the same. But the point is, this is not heartless commitment, beloved. This, this is heartfelt commitment. This is the chesed of God. 
And so here's what David was asking. Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him chesed or steadfast love or the ongoing loving kindness of the Lord for Jonathan's sake? Is there anyone left in the house of Saul so that I can be faithful to my covenant with my good friend, a covenant that I made in the presence of the Lord as an overflow of the chesed of God in my life? Beloved, I hope you can see that this is about more than a guy just being nice to people around him. It's good to be nice. I prefer to be nice than not to be nice. Amen? But this is about more than being nice. This is about a man who's overwhelmed with the love and the work of God in his life, and he's overflowing to be like his father. I hope with all of my heart that we can see that. David wanted to be like his God. When his servants conducted their initial search, they found a guy named Ziba, and for whatever reason, Ziba seemed to have a, a place of position and power over whatever remained of Saul's estate. It's kind of hard to tell where things were at with Saul and where Saul's people had gone and all of that, but there was this guy, Ziba, who seemed to stick out from the crowd. And so David's servants brought Ziba before the king, and after exchanging pleasantries, David again asked him this question. David said to him, Ziba, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness, the chesed, the steadfast love of God to him? And please notice now that he adds the words of God. It's absolutely displaying for us that his heart is to overflow with the love that he has received from the Lord. He didn't want just to be nice. He wanted to be like his father. Ziba answered, that there was indeed a descendant of Saul, and that he was in fact the son of the king's close friend. He was the son of Jonathan. His name was Mephibosheth, and sad to say, he was crippled in his feet, and he had been essentially living in exile in a place called Lodabar, which was on the east side of of the Jordan River, in a disputed territory. He had been living there in a a place that means no word or nowhere. It's basically nowhere Israel. This guy... The grandson of the former king has been banished to nowhere, and he probably thought that he was going to live in nowhere Israel for the rest of his life if he wasn't killed by some of the king's confidants. Having identified this man, David sent for him and brought him into the heart of the, of the capital of the country, into Jerusalem, and he said to him, Mephibosheth, which means something like destruction of shame. And you have to understand, beloved, that when Mephibosheth came into the king's presence, he bowed his face down to the ground, which would have been a normal thing to do before a king, and he paid homage to him. But I think more was happening in his case than simple honor. I think Mephibosheth was scared for his life. Wouldn't you be? Doesn't matter what people told him that the king wanted to do for him. I think Mephibosheth thought he's going to bring me there either to put me in prison for the rest of my life or to kill me right now. I am the grandson of the former king. I am a rightful heir to the throne. There's nothing that's about to happen to me right now but death. Certainly Mephibosheth was shaking as he bowed before the king. And so, oh, how sweet those words must have sounded sounded to him. In fact, when Ethan read them a few minutes ago, some tears formed up in my eyes as I just put myself in Mephibosheth's place. Can you imagine thinking that you might be living your last day on earth? And then you hear these words from the king. David says to him, do not fear. 
for I will show you kindness. I will show you chesed is the word that he uses. I will show you steadfast love for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Beloved, if David stopped right there, he would have fulfilled his covenant with Jonathan. He did not promise to do all kinds of things for Jonathan's offspring. All he promised was to be kind to them. What he promised to do was not to cut them off. He promised not to kill them. But the heart of the king was to do so much more than just to fulfill his vow. He wanted to overflow with the overwhelming love of God as that overwhelming love had overflowed into his own life. And so look what he said next. It must have taken Mephibosheth's breath away. He must have thought, I cannot be hearing what I'm hearing right now. David said, Mephibosheth, I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. Whatever was allotted to him, whatever was his proper estate, is now going to belong to you. You are going to have position and possessions among my kingdom. And Mephibosheth, there's more to be said. You are going to eat at my table, which was a way of saying, you're going to be treated like a son of the king. You, Mephibosheth, who are the grandson of the former king and an heir to this throne and a potential threat to my kingdom, you, Mephibosheth, will be treated as part of the royal entourage. You will be treated like a prince in my kingdom. Beloved, these words from David were so much more than everyday grace. This was a a pinch me. I can't believe I just heard that. Did he really just promise that kind of grace? This was an overflowing, overwhelming grace. This word from David was a dim reflection of what David felt that the Lord had done for him. I I really believe that. Please go back in your personal time. Read David's prayer at the end of chapter 7 and then read what he said to Mephibosheth here. And I think what you'll see is that David is just overflowing with the overwhelming love and grace of God. And so it's no surprise that Mephibosheth again bowed down to the ground, face to the ground before the king, and paid homage to him and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Who am I that you would bless me, O king? I thought, for sure I thought, that I was coming here today to receive a death sentence. But now I have received such overwhelming grace that I have no idea what to say. Who am I? Oh, who am I? I hope it's plain to you, beloved, that in David's heart, he was being faithful to this man as the Lord had been faithful to him. He was keeping his words to Jonathan as the Lord had kept his words to David. He was being kind to Mephibosheth, yes, but it was an overflow of the kindness of God in his life. David had been absolutely gripped by the things God had done for him, and now he wanted to be like his father. Oh, what a story. What an amazing man. What an amazing king. Having made his intentions clear, by the way, you know they say that the path to hell is paved with good intentions. It's good to have good intentions, but we gotta follow through, right? Amen? Every parent in here should be looking at their children and nudging like this and say, amen, amen, amen to that. You gotta follow through. Intentions are good, you have to follow through. David followed through just like that. As Soon as he had got done speaking to Mephibosheth, he called Ziba back into his presence and he told him everything that he had just promised, which certainly must have taken Ziba's breath away. 
And he told Ziba that him and his whole household would now be servants of Mephibosheth, which for him would have been very good news. Like Mephibosheth, no matter what the king had said to him, I think Ziba had the, at least the thought that the king might have been bringing Mephibosheth there to kill him, and if he's going to kill Mephibosheth, Ziba himself was probably under threat. I'm sure that while this meeting was going on, Ziba was outside shaking in his boots. I would have been. Words are just words. You have to wait to see the actions before you know what's really going to happen. And now instead of receiving a death sentence, Ziba himself receives an amazing life sentence. You and your whole entourage are going to be royal servants. You're going to live in luxury and you're going to serve someone who is essentially functioning like a prince in my kingdom. And so it's no wonder that Ziba just, just from his heart said, yes, Lord, And yes, David, according to all that my Lord the King commands his servant, so will your servants do. And I don't know if he dared to smile in the presence of the King, but surely after he left the presence of David and the hesed of God landed upon him, surely, surely that was a day of unbelievable, incredible celebration. As for Mephibosheth, David kept his word so that he did actually live in Jerusalem. He lived right in the heart of the kingdom, under the blessing of the king. He did, in fact, have a son named Micah, who probably was born before this time. But the point here is that even his son, even the great-grandson of Saul the king, became a beneficiary of the faithfulness and the kindness of the Lord pouring through David. Mephibosheth was indeed served by Ziba and his whole household. He did indeed eat at the king's table. He was indeed treated as a son of the king. This man who had lived for most of his life in banishment was now being treated as a son of the king in just overwhelming grace that was coming from God. And he was, as the author reminds us in verse 15, he was crippled in his feet. He was lame in his feet. He was unable to walk because you may remember he had been dropped when he was a child and probably he broke his ankles or something like that and they didn't heal right. So he probably wasn't completely incapacitated but he certainly wasn't able to to get around very well. That's for sure. And it seems to me that there are at least two reasons why the author brings this fact of his crippledness back to our attention at this point. On the one hand, I think the author wants us to know that David is not stupid in bringing one of the descendants of Saul into his presence. I hope you see that this is a man who's bringing a potential threat to his throne right next to him. And I don't think David had that old saying in mind, you know, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. I don't think this was political savvy at work here. This is covenant faithfulness at work here. David was taking a risk in bringing Mephibosheth next to him, but I think the author does want us to know that he wasn't being stupid. Mephibosheth was really not much of a threat. It would have been very hard for him to put together the kind of team he would have had to put together in order to lead a coup against the throne. But on the other hand, and I think much more importantly, I think the author wants us to know that Mephibosheth was broken and and weak in many ways. In fact, because of his physical condition, he would not have been allowed into the tabernacle of God. And I think that the author wants us to know that despite his outward brokenness and weakness, that David and the Lord were showering kindness upon him, which to me just magnifies the kindness all the more. Kindness is a good thing. 
when you're kind and steadfast to someone who deserves it, but when someone doesn't deserve it, when they're the act, exact opposite of someone who deserves it, and then you pour it upon them as well, well, that just magnifies that love all the more. And for my part, I think David just looked at his own life, saw how broken he was, and I hope that we've seen already, we're not even to the really bad part yet, right, in chapters 11 and 12, but I hope we've seen enough. David was not a perfect hero, That's, isn't that right? He's a broken hero, broken and weak in many, many ways. And God showered such amazing kindness upon him, and now David had the heart to shower that kind of kindness upon someone who did not deserve it. I, re- I really think with all my heart, this is why two times it's mentioned in this chapter that this guy is lame in his feet. The Lord had been faithful to David in his weakness, and now God, David, sought to be faithful to Mephibosheth in his weakness. The Lord had kept his word to David no matter what the circumstances, and now David wanted to keep his word no matter what the circumstances. The Lord had been overwhelmingly kind to David through so many years, in fact, decades of circumstances, and now David wants it to be kind as his father was kind. As I've been saying, beloved, the, the real point here is that David is seeking to be like his God. He's seeking to be like his father. He's seeking to overflow with the things that have been poured into his life. Last week, we saw that David was a conquering king who overcame his enemies to the north and to the south and to the east and to the west because the Lord was being faithful to his covenant with David. This week, We are seeing that David was a steadfast and faithful king, a kind king who kept his covenant with Jonathan and with others because the Lord had kept his covenant with David. In other words, it's not just that David was a powerful military man and a brilliant tactician. It's that he was under the blessing of the Lord and everywhere he went, the Lord blessed him and gave him victory. The story of David's victories is about God. It's not mainly about David. I hope you can see that. And the point of this chapter is that David was being extraordinarily steadfast in love and kind because the Lord was doing these things in him and through him. The kindness of God to Mephibosheth was the kindness of God to Mephibosheth. David was the conduit. But this story is really about the Lord, beloved. Second Samuel 8 and 9 are about a king who is becoming like his father. He's learning to conquer by the power of his God. He's learning to be steadfast as his God is steadfast. And next week we'll see a third chapter, which I think of them like a trilogy, eight, nine, and 10, are kind of like a trilogy. Next week we'll see that he was becoming just as his father was just. So as I reflect on these things in chapter nine in particular, one thing I'm certain about is that the main point for us is not this. The main point coming out of the service today is not, hey, just go out into the world and be kind. Be nice people in the world. Like I said, of course I hope we would be nice. I hope I would be nice. I hope I would grow in niceness. There's nothing wrong with being nice, but it's just not the point of this chapter. I think that the main lesson for us today is that we would go out into the world aware of the faithful, steadfast love of the Lord that we have received so that we overflow with that steadfast love toward other people. The main point of this message today is that we would become like our Father, that we would see his covenant faithfulness to us, and we would seek to be faithful to our covenants with other people at home, 
at church, at work, and in the world. The message for today is that we have received so much kindness from God in the context of his promises to us that we would also bestow kindness upon others in the context of our promises. The, the message for today is receive from your Father and go out into this world and learn to be like your Father. Amen? It's a profound lesson, beloved. Be transformed into the image of your Father. Be like Him. He is steadfast, so you be steadfast as well. Now, some of you may be on the verge of doing something silly and breaking covenants that you should not be breaking. And I pray with all of my heart that you will hear this message today and come back from the brink. I hope with all my heart that you will hear this message today not as a legalistic call to obedience, but as a loving call to see the passionate commitment of your Father to you so that you'll learn to keep your commitments to other people. Some of you may already be keeping your commitments well and from your heart And maybe today's message would be wind in your sails. Maybe today's message would cause joy to rise up in you even as you're suffering in the keeping of your covenants. Think back to B.B. Warfield now with me. He was so faithful to his wife, beloved, for 40 years almost, 39 years to be exact. He was faithful to his wife. I've already told you and I promise you that he was doing that in a self-conscious way of overflowing with the love of God toward his beloved bride. But I'll also promise you something else. It was not easy for that man. He suffered many, many things. Just think about this. In caring for his bride and staying married to her and to nobody else, he suffered the loss of her companionship. They can no longer just go for a walk in the mountains. They couldn't just go out and get a little something to eat at a local cafeteria somewhere in Princeton, New Jersey. They couldn't just enjoy a day together. They couldn't just have normal fellowship together. He was now her caretaker and she was the cared for. That's a loss of a kind of companionship that certainly caused suffering in his life. He lost the pleasure of sexual pleasure that God had so graciously granted to them for all the days of their lives. That was gone to them now for 40 years, really for the rest of his life, gone to them. They lost the privilege of having children. B.B. Warfield died in 1921 without any children. He gave up the ability to have kids because he loved his bride more than he loved his desire for children. He lost the ability to be free in his calling and to write and lead as he really wanted to write and lead. I, I don't know how to explain to you how important a role this guy played in bringing the church back from the brink of liberalism. He was a giant in the kingdom of God in his day. God made him to be so, but I don't hold back from saying that. He was a giant. His works were very influential. His life was more influential. He could have been more free, but as I told you, he could only leave his house for about two hours at a time, and God put this burden of of having to influence the entire church on his shoulders. Can you imagine that? Believe me, beloved, this man suffered. He suffered. But I know that in his suffering, he also had the joy of the Lord. I know it. Because you know what? Faithfulness to our covenants is more important than momentary happiness. Amen? You ought to be saying amen. That will preach right there. Faithfulness to our covenants is more important than our comfort or our momentary happiness. Sometimes true happiness calls for the sacrifice of our happiness. 
Sometimes we have to suffer in order to amplify the joy that we'll have in the kingdom of heaven. And, and one other thing I'll promise you about B.B. Warfield is that he has unending joy in the presence of God now. Oh, that he was faithful for all those years is such a tremendous joy that it will make all of his sacrifices seem like nothing. And I'll tell you who else is happy in the presence of God now. Anne Pierce Kincaid Warfield. She experienced the love of a man who stayed faithful to her all the days of her life. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be her? Just feeling like such a leech. Like, why should you spend your whole life caring for me? But now, in the presence of God, she sees that this was a small glimpse of the steadfast love of the Lord. Imagine the joy of everybody who knew the Warfields and who know Jesus and who are now in his presence. And imagine our joy, looking at an example of this man and just taking joy in his faithfulness. Beloved, the joy that came out of his faithfulness so far outweighs the suffering of it that it's just flat out worth it. I mean, it is so worth it, so beloved. Receive from your Father and go out there and be like your Father. Your Father has kept his words to you, so you keep your words to others at home, at church, at work, and in the world. I put one more slide up there this morning that just asks how you're doing with your covenants in several places, and I'll let you just read that. But mainly I wanna ask Asaph, he'll come up now and just play for a few minutes um, as we just have time to reflect on this and just think, and maybe the Lord would bring situations to your mind Maybe there are negative things, maybe there are positive things, I don't know. I just wanna give the Lord a few minutes to get to each of our hearts and to bring things to our minds so that we can display faithfulness to others in the way that God has displayed his faithfulness to us. And after a few minutes, I'll come up and pray for us. we keep our heads bowed in the presence of the Lord, I just want to say that for some of you, it may feel overwhelming to keep your faithfulness to others, to keep your word to others, but I want to tell you that you don't have to do so in your power, but that there's one who lived for you and who died for you, 
who was utterly faithful to you. Jesus Christ is his name. He came in faithfulness to his God and for the glory of his God. And he lived a righteous life and died a horrible death and he was raised again from the dead so that whoever believes in him would have eternal life and also have the power to live as God calls us to live. And so if you're feeling overwhelmed by your inability to keep your covenants, now I encourage you to look to Jesus Christ. I encourage you to believe in him. I encourage you to hope in him, to trust in him, to draw upon him alone. I encourage you to know that he is the source of faithfulness that will help you to be faithful in the world. Now, Father, I thank you so much for this word. I thank you for the word from 2 Samuel 9, and I thank you from the word that is Jesus Christ. I thank you for the living message of faithfulness that he is to us. And I pray that by faith in him that we would have power to do all the things that you have called us to do at home, at church, at work, and in the world. Oh, God, Please make us faithful as you are faithful. Teach us, Lord, to be steadfast as you have been steadfast to us. Teach us to be kind to others as you have been kind to us. And especially in these days, Lord, in the tumultuousness of our country, I pray that we would be found faithful to this promise, that we would intercede for our nation. We have access to your throne through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that we would be found to be faithful. So please help us now. And please, Father, as we rise to sing to you, I pray that you'd continue to speak to your people and to work powerfully among us. It is in the name of Jesus and for the glory of Jesus that we pray. Amen.